السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده وهو أهل للمحامد كلها ونصلي ونسلم على خير خلقه وآله وصحبه ومن سار على نهجه واقتفى أثره إلى يوم الدين أما بعد dear brothers and sisters it's a great opportunity for me to welcome you all here in behalf of Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah I hope we all get the benefit of uh, our guest speakers. Anyhow, as you heard, the mainstream we are running tonight and for the next two nights will be about how we can receive the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How we can draw ourselves so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how we can be a real servants of him and his religion. Before I keep talking about how, I like you to hear a little bit about our chefs and guests for of tonight. Sheikh Jamal Zarabozo, very well known speaker and uh, writer, every one of you I think knows him better than me. Uh, he's from, originally from Spain. He raised up in America and learned. He studied the, mainly the economic. Then after his Islam, he left all that behind and concentrated about how he can get the pleasure of Allah by studying producing, teaching, and learning the, the real religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he put a lot of effort on that. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him a great favor of learning and teaching his religion. This is why he is here tonight. Come from United States to stay with you for a while, try to help himself and you, learning how we can get the ultimate target for every one of us, how we can be real Muslims. Sheikh Jamal Zarabozo became Muslim about 30 years ago. Since then, he freed himself from everything except how we, he can learn and teach Islam. He wrote so many books, so many of them are available in Australia and in so many different varieties. We all, on behalf of you, welcome Sheikh Jamal. Sheikh Abdul Salam, another of our beloved sheikhs, graduated from Medina University and came to Australia as a da'i, appointed by Da'wa and the State Supreme Council in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Since uh, early 80s, he is working with us. 
and he didn't leave any effect to put it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's based in Sydney and I think you met him about two months ago in the last lecture in this stadium. Sheikh Hatim Isa, he just come in. And they just arrived from Sydney anyhow. Jazakumullah khairan. Again, he was born in Australia. Sheikh Abdussalam was born in Lebanon. But Sheikh Hatim was born in Australia. And raised up in Lebanon. And learned about Islam since he was young. Then he finished his degree in Medina University too. Sheikh Khalid Isa, again, is a brother of Sheikh Hatim, a younger brother. Again, he was born here in Sydney and raised uh, in Lebanon and graduated a few years ago from Medina University too. And Dr. Atif, uh, we feel sorry that he's not here tonight because he's a little bit sick, but he will be with us inshallah tomorrow. And uh, the majority of you knew Dr. Atif. He was born here in Australia and uh, traveled for so many countries, raised up in Sudan, Pakistan, then in Australia again. He's a, a senior lecturer in Melbourne University. This is the major speakers, of course, plus your humble servant, uh, myself. And I urge all of you to get this opportunity to learn how you can be a real and true servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How we can work together to head up to a real target. Always we have to think not only how we can gain this life, how we can establish Islam here, but how we can establish ourselves in the hereafter, how we can meet, sit, talk with the Prophet and his companions, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and radiyallahu anhum, how we can observe ourselves from the hellfire, how we can win the war of the shaitan, the Satan of the jinn and the Satan of the ants, the shaitan, the Satan of the human being, and the shaitan and the Satan of the jinn. It's a huge battle. So many of us sometimes forget that he has a great enemy within him or herself. And we should always 
keep the battle alive until the last minute of our life or we're going to lose this battle. There is a little story and I finish my talk in that about the great Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. May Allah show mercies on him. When he was in the last minute of his life, his students, his companions, his friends surrounding him and remind him of La ilaha illallah. And in that minute he said, no, 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 no. Then when he woke up, they all scared. What happened? How could the Sheikh say no when we say to him, say La ilaha illallah? They asked him, oh Imam, what happened? He said, the shaitan came to me. And he said, oh Ahmed, you passed me. You ran away with me. I can't get you anymore. And I said to him, no. As long as the soul is still in the body, the battle is still alive. So even the last minute, the shaitan tried to trick Imam Ahmed. But Imam Ahmed was, alhamdulillah, waiting for him. And he said, no, the battle not finished yet. Until the soul leaves the body, we're still in the battle with you. And this is a reminder for all of us that until the soul leaves the body, we are in a huge battle. And the main battle, as I said, with our enemy within ourselves, plus the desires, plus the love of this life. So we have to fight for that. And we have to get out safely, inshallah ta'ala. This is what our talks this night and in the few nights coming all about. How we can get the pleasure of Allah, how we can gain the true belief in Allah and in His message and in His messenger. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, in tonight's lecture about in pursuit of Allah's pleasure, I would like to begin by quoting a verse of the Quran and quoting a hadith of the Prophet so that we have in mind exactly what we're talking about during this weekend and what is Allah's, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and what would, should be our attitude towards gaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and being willing to sacrifice for the sake of gaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran 
وعد الله وعد الله المؤمنين والمؤمنات جنات تجري من تحتها الانهار خالدين فيها ومساكن طيبه في جن في جنات عدن والرضوان من الله اكبر ذلك هو الفوز العظيم الله سبحانه وتعالى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allah has promised to the believing men and to the believing women gardens through which rivers flow to dwell therein and beautiful mansions in the gardens of Adam but the, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater and that is indeed the supreme success. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to bestow upon the believers, the believing men and women, the reward of Jannah and the pleasures of Jannah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the pleasure coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure is greater than all of that. The Mufassirin, when they try to explain this verse, you can see that it's almost difficult. You cannot add anything to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. And you take all of those bounties of Jannah. But the bounty of having Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pleased with you and attaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure is greater and more wonderful than any other kind a bounty, any other kind of pleasure that you could ever receive. In fact, in another, in the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu وقال عتيتنا ما لم تعطي أحد من خلقك فيقول ألا عطيكم أفضل من ذلك قالوا يا رب وأي شيء أفضل من أفضل من ذلك فيقول أحل عليكم رضواني فلا أسخط عليكم بعده بعده أبدا has told us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to the people of Jannah, O people of Jannah, and they will say at your beck and call, at your service, our Lord. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, will say to them, are you pleased? And they will say, how should we not be pleased when you've given us something that you've never given, that you've not given to any of your creation? And then, the, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to them, can I give you something that is, shall I not give you something that is even better than that? And their response is, oh Lord, what could be better than that? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to them, I will grant you my pleasure and I shall never afterwards be angry with you. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the conversation that will take place between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those believers who are already in Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure, the fact that He will never be angry with them again, never be displeased with them ever again. This is actually the greatest reward 
that any human could ever achieve, that any human could ever uh, seek. And this is the topic that the brothers have chosen for this uh, weekend session, the attaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Attaining this pleasure, attaining this sought after goal which is greater than any other thing that anyone could imagine. And from the beginning, at the outset, one of the main aspects that we must always keep in mind is actually to have the proper understanding, or I should say, the proper proper belief about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and attaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. Because if you study the history of this creation, you study the history of mankind, and you see one of the most common ways in which the shaitan has been able to mislead mankind, and a way in which the shaitan has been able to take people to a situation where they are heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where they do not worry about whether or not they are pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or whether or not they are displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is where a shaitan takes the person into a situation where he feels safe and secure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with him, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him regardless of what he does. And you'll find this belief existed among the Jews, existed among the Christians, and unfortunately it developed also among the Muslims. With respect to the to the Jews and the Christians, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, tells us in the Quran, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ وَالنَّسَارَةِ نَحْنُ أَبْنَاءُ اللَّهِ وَحَبَّاؤُهُ قُلْ فَلِمَا يُعَذِّبُكُمْ بِذُنُوبِكُمْ بَلْ أَنْتُمْ بَشْرٌ مِّمَّنْ خَلَقُ يَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيُعَذِّبُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا وَإِلَيْهِ الْمَصِيرِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Jews and the Christians, they say that we are the sons and the beloved, the children and the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet to respond to them, to tell them then why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or why shall Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish you for your sins? In fact, you are just among the creation, among the human beings, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives whomever He wills, and He punishes whomever He wills. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the dominion and the rule over the heavens and the earth and whatever is between them, whatever is between them, and unto Him is the journey's end. So in this verse we see that it's not by our declaration that we are the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we claim that we are any people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves, but it is actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who will forgive and reward whoever, whoever He wills, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive or will punish whomever He wills, and no one has any control over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I said, this same, this same kind of belief the same kind of belief has spread even among, also among the Muslims. That they get to a point where they believe that 
once they are a Muslim, this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to enter them into Jannah. Regardless of what they do afterwards, regardless of their actions, regardless of their behavior towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, it is widespread, even if you, if you study the Muslim ummah today, it is widespread among many people that once a person says, La ilaha illallah, nothing is going to harm his faith. Nothing can take him outside of the fold of Islam. And obviously this is a very dangerous belief. And even among, unfortunately, even among those people who are active in the field of da'wah, we find sometimes the same kind of concept being spread. A concept which actually, in reality, really comes from the Christians. That God, for example, loves uh, all of us. And in fact, there was a book that I was just reading, written by a Muslim author who has written a number of books, uh, as I said, basically of a da'wah nature. And in this book, the title of the book is The Problem of Evil. The author wrote, God's love is not conditional. As if he only loves us. Now again, this is from a Muslim author. Now this Muslim author, I should point out, used to be a, a devout Christian. And I guess some of the Christian beliefs have not been filtered out completely. So the person wrote, God's love is not conditional. As if he only loves us if we do this or that. God's love for us does not ebb and flow. It is unchangeable. God never ceases to love us no matter what we do. And then later also the same author wrote, Remember Allah hates no person that he has made, but he hates sin and evil. Allah does not love in our way, but his love is without limits. And as I said, if we want to be serious about the question of attaining Allah's pleasure, then we have to realize from the beginning that we are in a situation where depending on our intention, our choices, and our actions, we have to realize that we may be attaining Allah's pleasure or we may be attaining Allah's displeasure. In fact, in every action that we take, every action that we take may be an action which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or it could be an action which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I said, the real motivation or the real uh, actions, inshallah, leading us to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to start from this point. We have to realize, we have to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all of this creation, all of mankind, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves some people from among this creation, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates some people from among this creation. And that is all part of the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no one can define for Allah what he loves, what he hates, and so on. This is something only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can know. Now the philosophers and the thinkers, especially the Christian thinkers, and unfortunately some Muslims, they think about Allah without referring to what Allah has revealed about himself. And so therefore they say Allah or God is all good, God is all loving, and so therefore, it's not possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would hate his creatures. 
And actually, it is, if, if you ask me, it is kind of a very arrogant, I should say maybe another arrogant stance that mankind takes. That no matter what they do, no matter what kind of actions they perform, no matter how evil and how filthy they may be in their lives, they claim that Allah loves them regardless of what they do. And that this kind of belief, this kind of belief should spread among the Muslims or this kind of attitude. And in not realizing, not thinking about the fact that every moment we go out, every action that we perform, we can either be performing an action that will bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make us more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more pleased with us, or it could be an action that takes us further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has clearly reminded us and shown us that there are people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love. And we have to take those verses seriously, we have to think about the ramifications of what does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love those people. And we have to do our best to make sure that we are not from amongst those. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحَبُّ كُلَّ كَفَارٍ أَثِيمٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah loves not every ungrateful and sinful person. And in many verses in the Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with, وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحَبُّ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحَبُّ And in this verse, for example, in this particular verse that I just quoted, just to make maybe the, the issue more relevant to a problem that we're facing nowadays, this verse from, comes from Surah Al-Baqarah. And this verse comes, or these few words come at the end of a verse, or at the end of a passage, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about riba. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about interest, and how people try to make an excuse for taking interest, saying that it is sim similar to a kind of trade, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He has wiped out any kind of benefit or, or blessing to interest, and He increases sadaqah. And that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says these words, وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحَبُّ كُلَّ كَفَارِنَا فِينَ this, this is now a practice, unfortunately, that many Muslims are getting into nowadays, and this is a reflection when people take this matter so lightly that they're willing to do these kinds of acts, this is a reflection that we are not taking the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure seriously to the extent that we should be taking. Because it is actually in this passage in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about riba, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us clearly that He does not love these kind of people who engage in these kind of sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, قُلْ أَتِيَ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولُ فَإِن تُوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحَبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that say obey Allah and the Messenger and if you turn away then should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the disbelievers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse and for example in the other verses Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say that he does not love kufr. Like that quote that I quoted from that book, 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to say, or if that was the truth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could, in all these passages, say that he doesn't love kufr, he doesn't love dhun, he doesn't love fisk. But instead, instead Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the disbelievers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاللَّهُ لَا يَحِبُّ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah does not love the wrongdoers. It doesn't just say Allah doesn't love the wrongdoing, committing of dhun, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the wrongdoers. Also in different hadiths of the Prophet I'm just trying to take some examples that make it very clear to us that we are in a situation where we could be earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or we could be earning the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One example from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that I would like to mention, the Prophet ﷺ has told us, "Inna Allah Taala yubghidu kulla alimin bil dunya jahilin bil akhirah." The Prophet ﷺ said that that verily Allah hates every alimin bil dunya, everyone who is alim or knowledgeable of the dunya and ignorance of the hereafter. This is a description from the Prophet ﷺ of the kind of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates. And it is clear in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ told us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates these people. And this is, by the way, another, I think, very relevant example for us nowadays. As we continue to stress among our youth the importance of getting education that is related to this dunya and we keep neglecting the fact of the importance of knowing about the hereafter. If we want to get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure, if we're seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we must be aware of this fact. That the one who knows this dunya but is ignorant of the hereafter, the one who works and lives and sacrifices for this dunya and doesn't realize that it is the hereafter that he should be living for, this is one of those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also made it very clear to us that there's a big difference. And you cannot compare those people who are living, living their lives to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, trying to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and those people who are living their lives heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, neglectful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and living their lives under the shade of the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَمَنَ اتَّبَعَ الرِّضْوَانَ اللَّهِ كَمَنْ بَاءَ بِالسَّخْتِ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَمَأْوَهُ جَهَنَّمْ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is the one who follows, who is seeking the good pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that one, is he like the one who brings upon himself the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and whose abode is the hellfire, a woeful refuge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it very clear to us that there are different kinds of people. There are those kind of people who are seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are those people who are seeking or they are earning, earning the anger, the wrath, and the hatred of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for us, as I said, the question should be very clear. We in our lives should take this very seriously 
recognizing the fact that there are two distinct, very distinct kind of people. It isn't the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves every human being automatically. It isn't the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves everyone who calls himself or claims to be a Muslim. But there are people who are earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are people who are dis- earning the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, one of the, uh, one of the criticisms that many times these Christian missionaries and propagandists spread about Islam, they say that in, in Islam you don't have a personal God. The individual doesn't have some kind of personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And actually that couldn't be further from the truth. In Christianity you don't have a personal God. Because in Christianity once you believe in that kufr that they believe in that, you know, God sent his son to be sacrificed for the sins of mankind and so forth. Once you believe in that, your sins are forgiven, you are from the beloved of God no matter what you do. So you don't even have to worry about how you behave towards God. You are saved. You are now saved, so who cares even how you behave towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the, human, the, the Muslim realized that there is a direct relationship between himself and his actions and his Lord. And he knows that everything he's doing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware. And he knows that there's always, every moment there's opportunity to get even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, if he just thinks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he just thinks about who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, it should be, it should be inconceivable that a human being should say that he believes in Allah, that he knows who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, and you know what I mean by that, he knows about Allah, His one, and His attributes, and so forth. And that He claims to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and at the same time, He is not working to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is inconceivable. Because for one thing, for one thing, if you know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will know that every bounty, every blessing, every aspect of your life, everything that you have actually has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has given you all of that, and it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has given you the ability and the opportunity to get Jannah, to get Islam in this life, to get real happiness in this life, and to get also eternal happiness in the after. And it is, it is natural for a human being that if someone does good to him, if someone is kind to him, if someone is very polite to him, very generous with him, it is, it is natural for a human being for that kind of action to gender some love between the two of them. 
that is one of the reasons why it's natural for human beings to look up to their parents and be appreciative of their parents for everything, their mother giving them birth and bringing them up and so forth. Yet all of those things that you can think of cannot compare with what, the, with what a human being owes towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If someone is willing to work and sacrifice to please their mother and their father because of the obligation that they feel towards them and the gratitude that they feel towards them, what about the gratitude that they should feel towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What about the obligation that they should feel towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can this person, when he is conscious of this fact, and really thinking about this fact, how can this person go out and do something that he knows is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? People have a difficult time to do something if they know it's displeasing to their parents. Husbands and wives, when they have strong love for each other, they feel very shy to do something that they know that their spouse doesn't like. Yet when we behave towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that we do, and our relationship towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be well above and beyond those kinds of relationships. And this should make us be very shy to at any time, any time do something that would be displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we keep the dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with us, and this should drive us to always be thinking about whether or not we're pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or attaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure or not. But even beyond that, there is an aspect of our ibadah, or of our, and when we think about what is our purpose in life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that our purpose in life that He created not jinn and mankind except to worship Him. And we make the statement, the, the, the shahada, La ilaha illallah. These aspects also, and that we believe that Allah is our ilah. Our ilah means what it should mean, what it should mean is that this being that we believe in, this being that we are, we are testifying to as the only ilah, this means that this being should be the first thing and the most beloved thing in our hearts. Should be al-ma'bud, the one that we worship, and also al-mahbub, the one that we love fully with our hearts. So again, it's not just a matter of, of gratitude. It's not just a matter of, of realizing our obligation towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But beyond that, there should be in the heart of everyone who claims to be a believer, there should be a very strong love in their heart for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we think about this topic this title in pursuit of Allah's pleasure. We should realize that there is a very strong relationship between kindling 
that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and really having that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our hearts and getting the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in return. Because if that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly in our hearts and we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above everything else and really make Him the ilah in our life, the ma'bud and the mahbub, then our life will be all around this aspect. All around trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and attaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. And in fact, if you take that that phrase, radiyallahu uh, anhum, if you take this phrase, Allah is pleased with them. And you look to see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used it in the Qur'an. You'll find that this phrase is used five times in the Qur'an. And four of those five times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala follows up those words with the same words, radiyallahu anhum wa radu'an. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. Because as I said, the, the, the gendering of love, the acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the real ilah, and what that implies, and the trust that will develop between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the, the love and the trust and the bond that will develop between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be such that you are pleased with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked of you, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for you, and in return Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with you. And I'm not talking just in the hereafter, but also in this life. In those verses, in two of them in particular, it is very clear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about this kind of relationship existing in this life. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالصَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنْصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ تَبْعُوهُمْ بِأَحْسَانٍ وَالَّذِينَ تَبْعُوهُمْ بِأَحْسَانٍ وَرَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّةٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the, the sabiqun al-awalun, those who first entered into Islam, from the Muhajireen and from, from, from the Ansar, and those who follow them in goodness, Allah is well pleased with them, and they are well pleased with Allah. And then after stating that fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and promise for them are gardens and Jannah in which rivers flow and so forth. And in fact, after every Adhan, the Sunnah, after every Adhan, when we hear the Adhan, and repeat after the Muslim, part of what we say after the Adhan is we say, Raditu Billahi Rabban, and I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. I am pleased with Allah as my Lord, Wabi Muhammadin Rasulan, and with Muhammad uh, as, a, as a messenger, Wabil Islami Dina. 
and with Islam as the deen. So this, and these verses and these points show us very clearly that actually is a clear relationship between gaining the Allah subhanahu, gaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and you yourself getting to that point where you really take Allah as your ilah, as your mahbub, as your ma'bud. You put Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above everything else. You are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with you. That is the real, that is the real kind of iman. The real kind of belief that all of us should try to develop and it is the kind of belief that will lead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being pleased with us. <coughs> As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned a number of characteristics in the Quran of those people whom he does not love, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also mentioned a number of characteristics of those people whom he loves. And so therefore, uh, we should look in the Qur'an and see what are those characteristics. And we should try to see in ourselves whether or not we meet those characteristics or not. And if we are serious about gaining Allah's pleasure, if we are serious about having Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loving us and being happy with us, then we should be very serious about those verses in the Qur'an in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us He loves these people and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us He doesn't love these people. We should be very serious about looking to both the characteristics of both of these groups and making sure that we have the characteristics of those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and not those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disloves. And let me just mention uh, a few of them briefly, inshallah. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah yuhabbul muhsineen. Verily, Allah loves the muhsineen. And one of the characteristics of Ihsan, or one of the characteristics of the muhsineen, well, there's a general uh, one category, of course, is the, is, as described by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and it is that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if you are actually seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you cannot reach that, then you worship Him knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeing you. I mean, this is the level of ihsan that the Prophet had described in the hadith of, uh, of Jibreel. And even if we just take this one point that the Prophet described in this hadith. All of us here, we're all Muslims. We've been Muslims, probably most of us, many of us for years, maybe since birth. And we probably have read this verse in Surah Al-Baqarah many times, that Allah loves the Muhsineen. And we've probably read this hadith of Jibreel many times, in which he describes what is that Ihsan. Yet how serious do we take this issue of having Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love and pleasure that we've actually taken this hadith of the Prophet and really asked ourselves whether or not we fit that description that the Prophet has mentioned. Do we really worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if we are seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of us?
And at the very least, if we are not at that point, are we actually really worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowing that Allah is watching us and seeing us. And not just seeing us, of course, physically on the outside level, but what is in our hearts. When we go to the Salat, for example, how much of our Salat are we really concentrated on what we're saying in the Salat? And how much of our Salat is our mind just going off into other things? And if we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeing us and hearing us and knows what's in our hearts, and this is the way we perform our Salat, then we have to question ourselves whether or not we're really from the Muhsinin. And if we know that Allah loves the, the Muhsinin, then we should do our best to strive to be among the Muhsinin. This topic that we have for this weekend is not just some kind of theoretical or academic discussion of in pursuit of Allah's pleasure. That's not the, the point behind it. That's not the purpose behind it. But it is, inshallah, to motivate us to realize what Allah's pleasure is, how great that is, how important that is, and how that opportunity is there for us. And to think about what it is that we should be doing to get Allah's pleasure, to be among those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. And one of those things, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, tells us here is to be from the Muhsinin. And the Muhsinin also, in a more general category, also includes those people who try, when they do any act, when they do any act, they try to do it in the best way. Of course, the best way from Sharia perspective. What is the proper way to do something with the right intention, with kindness, with generosity, and so forth? This is also part of the description of Ihsan. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, إِنَّ اللَّهِ يُحِبُّ الطَّوَابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِرِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who repent, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who purify themselves. And in fact, in, uh, in the hadith that I'm sure you're all familiar with of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the Prophet ﷺ has described to us how pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the repentance of a human being. You know the hadith about the person who was uh, out in the desert and lost all of his uh, belongings and his camel and he sat there to wait until death came to him and he slept and when he woke up all of his camels and, and possessions were in front of him there and of course he was so uh, and he's so pleased and so excited about that situation even even he made a statement of kufri and he was so pleased and so excited and he, because he's not in uh, and he's catching what he's saying and the, and the Prophet is telling us that actually Allah's pleasure with the human being when he repents, is greater than the pleasure of that man when he got his positions back. And this, if you just think about this, this aspect alone, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
is leaving the door open to us, us weak human beings who commit sins over and over again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves the door open for us to repent to Him. And not only does that wipe away the sin that we committed, but the act of repentance is another way that we can please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something that if we take in our lives and in the sins that we commit, how many times do we seriously think about them and repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mend our ways and do our best to change? If we consider and keep in mind how beloved that is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how pleased we will be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this school, inshallah, should be a driving force for us to always be repenting from the sins that we are committing. فَإِنَّ اللَّهِ يُحَبُّ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people of taqwa. And one of the descriptions of the people of taqwa is that they put some kind of, like a barrier between them and the actions which are clearly pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, clearly displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in those things that are haram, displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't even get close to them. They make a kind of barrier, waqaya, between them and those actions which are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are a kind of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in the Quran that He loves these people. Is that our attitude nowadays? And if we can find if we can find 50 ulama saying something is haram and one saying it is halal, that should be sufficient for us to do. <laughs> and in no doubt is left anymore that we can, we can do that kind of act. Any kind, any kind of, of argument is given for something to be halal, we will be willing to accept it and, and do that kind of act. And we should be leaving the doubtful matters. Something is doubtful, if we want to be from Muttaqeen, we should be leaving those doubtful matters. And we shouldn't worry about what we're giving up of this dunya. We shouldn't be worrying about what we're giving up of this dunya, if it means pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you think about getting into doubt, those doubtful matters, it is usually because people don't want to give up something of this dunya. That's why they get into those doubtful matters. Questions of ha- of, of wealth which are haram, riba and so forth. And we should leave those doubtful matters so that we'll be among those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those people who are just. Justice in Islam, the idea of following what is truth, what is correct, this is something that is emphasized over and over in the Quran. Even if it is something that goes against your nearest relatives, you have to stand up for what is trust. Even if it goes against your own interests, you have to stand up for what is just and what is truth. And this is a characteristic that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Even when dealing with the kuffar, as I said, even if it's related to your closest relatives, you have to stand up for what is just. 
This is an absolute principle in Islam. It's not something that you can be just today and then tomorrow if it, if it meets your fancy, you forget about being just. But it is a principle that we have to stick to in all times. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously loves those who fight for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who follow the way of the Prophet Muhammad Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who are loyal to the believers and stern against the disbelievers and so forth. And of course the key to all of this, the first foundation to all of this, to get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure, is the aspect of iman. That is the first and most important thing, and that is really the dividing line between those whom, or those who will not receive any of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and love, and those who at least, inshallah, will receive some of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allahu waliyu al-ladheena amanu yukhrijuhum min al-bulamati lal-nur, wal-ladheena kafru awliyahum al-tagut, yukhrijunahum min al-nur ila-dulamat, ulaika ashabu al-nariyum fi al-khalidun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah is the wali. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he has all of the implications of support and love and closeness and loyalty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah is the wali of the believers. He takes them out of darkness into light. And for the disbelievers they have tawud, the false gods the tyrants, the people who put themselves above others, who take them out of light into darkness, those are the companions of the hellfire, and they shall remain therein. So in this verse in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that the key, and the separating line between those who have at least some of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and love and support, is this question of iman. The question of having proper belief. And we all know that Iman is something that increases and decreases. And it's not something static. And that is also, by the way, another aspect of of our beliefs that everyone should be conscious of and thinking about. Because everyone should be conscious about their own level of Iman and what is happening to their level of Iman. Whether it is increasing, whether it is decreasing, whether it is static, and we should always be aware of this uh, of this kind of fact. The proper, of course, the the, the correct iman, or the iman, iman, of course, that is most pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, is that iman in which you fulfill all the obligations of the faith, including putting Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala above everything else, and living your life based on that fact. We always mention and we hear throughout the day, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. And Allah is greater than anything else. And Allah is more important than any other object, any other goal. And this is how we should be living our life, based on this principle of Allahu Akbar. But if we find ourselves lacking on this point, and if we find ourselves that we want to be earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we always find ourselves unfortunately falling short. 
And we find ourselves falling, not being able to resist, resist temptations and the lure of a shaitan. And we should realize that this is a disease in ourselves. And that every time we allow ourselves to fall into those temptations or into those sins or into the way of shaitan, we should realize that this always, this means that we are displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should remember it as that fact. Not just the question of this is something haram, this is a sin, but we should really be thinking about what does it mean with respect to our relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should never in our hearts, no believer, and I don't believe anyone who has really any iman, if he keeps reminding himself of the fact that when he is sinning, when he is doing these wrong things, he is displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is worse than displeasing your best friend or your spouse or your parents. You are displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and attaining the, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are distancing yourself from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what it means to sin. That what it, that's what it means to succumb to these temptations and to succumb to the plots of shaitan. What is, as I mentioned, alhamdulillah, and even when you fall into that kind of situation, does not mean that all things are lost. Does not mean that there's no hope. It means, yes, you have to change. You have to realize what you're doing. But if you take the effort to turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you take the effort to turn towards Allah, as the Prophet has told us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you take the effort to turn just like a hand span towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to come to you this much. In other words, it is a matter of you and your heart realizing what you've done. Realizing whose displeasure you are earning. And realizing whose pleasure you want to earn. And really think about that fact. Really think about the fact that your actions have ramification for your relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you realize who He is, and who, what, you, what should be your relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and constantly remind yourself of that fact, Inshallah, you will find yourself turning, inshallah, away from displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will find yourself turning towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as you turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah in His mercy and in His compassion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will turn towards you in an even greater fashion. And as you walk towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come to you running. So this door to Gaining Allah's, Allah's pleasure is open to us. It is, alhamdulillah, open to us at all times. But we have to realize what a great, we have to realize what a great and important goal it is. We have to give it its proper priority in our lives. We have to fill our hearts with the feeling that that is what we want. 
We want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anything else. could have just taken one step, I would have known already what you're... <laughs> and this should be the thing that is in our hearts. And inshallah, in this weekend conference, inshallah, we'll be reminded of the importance of attaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and working towards that goal. And how that goal, inshallah, is open to us and there's many steps that are available to us and inshallah, easy for us to follow that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with us in this life and in the hereafter and in our hearts also we'll have a pleasure with respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we'll be pleased as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran we'll be pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we'll have that mutual pleasure in both this life and the hereafter inshallah on that point that will end and brother Amjid has important uh important something that he wants you to listen to. I forget. Assalamualaikum brothers and sisters. Um, I know it's been quite long, so what I'll do is I'll probably address you after the break. So uh, inshallah, I can have the break now. Um, there should be the Isha prayer inshallah and uh, some light snacks for, for you. Um, we'll be starting in about 20 minutes. Um, if you've got any questions or answers, please, um, sorry, if you've got any questions, please give them to the, the brothers and sisters collecting. And once you come in next time, please don't sit on the stairways over here. We're not allowed to do that. There are some rooms upstairs that have been opened up, so you can use that, inshallah. Zakulak, I'll see you in 20 minutes, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum Uh, as usual, the, the questions greatly outnumber the uh, ability to answer them. I've limited the questions to these, to removing uh, questions that I felt were not uh, relevant. Brother, I'm just forgot to tell you that uh, I never take questions that are not related to the uh, to the lecture at hand. He also forgot to tell you that he he told me to take as much time as I wanted during the lecture. So I was kind of surprised when I got that note telling me that time was up, but uh, <coughs> uh, So I've tried to choose some questions that uh, were most closely related to the topic. Um, the first question that uh, I have here says, uh, why do people ask Allah to guide the Muslims uh, when a practicing Muslim would have already been guided by Allah? And actually, this is uh, this is the, an argument that I remember a Christian making. He said that the Muslims, they they uh, and the Salat, they say "Hadina Salat al-Mustaqim," so they are admitting that they're not on the Salat al-Mustaqim. <laughs> and this is proof that actually they should all come to Christianity and all that <coughs> stuff. I'm sure you've heard that uh, kind of thing before. But but in reality. Uh, there's different levels of guidance, there's different kinds of guidance, and every moment of a Muslim's life, or every moment every moment of a human being's life, he needs guidance. And when you perform any act, you have to, uh, you have to know that the act is halal, it is permissible, it is the correct act, it is the correct way of doing it. 
So in every moment of our lives, even after we've received the general guidance of uh, having Iman put into our hearts, uh, we still need guidance for every moment of our life to make sure we make the right choices and do what is halal and stay away from what is haram. Also, we need guidance in the sense of increasing our knowledge of what is correct, what is wrong, and so forth. So a human being, and until, until his death, he is never at a point in which he does not need guidance. And even in the hereafter, there is a kind of guidance, you know, going over the thought and so forth. So uh, this is an important point that also the Muslim, when he's praying, he should remember this fact, that he's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide him to the straight path, meaning to keep him along that straight path, the iman, Allah has already guided him to iman, alhamdulillah. He should be appreciative of that, of that fact. But he wants to continue and increase and improve himself along that path. So every time you go to the salat, it is actually another request in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to even improve yourself on, on the path of guidance and perfect yourself along that path of guidance and bring yourself closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the things that the person should be realizing when he is, uh, when he is performing the salat. <coughs> By the way, I'll try to be brief because of the, the time, inshallah. The question here is, is there anything that Allah uh, doesn't get pleased or dis- displeased with? And in, in a sense, <coughs> uh, everything or any kind of act can be an act which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or an act which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet has told his Sahaba that even when when a man has uh, sexual intercourse with his wife, that he'll get rewarded from by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when he was asked about it, he said, isn't it the case that if he would have fulfilled that need in a wrong way, he would have been uh, earning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's displeasure? So when you, when you do an act, even an act which is mubah, an act which is permissible, and from a uh, uh, strictly fiqh point of view, the fiqh doesn't say there's anything necessarily good about the act or anything bad about the act, but when you do it with the right intention, you're doing, you're doing it knowing that it is mubah, and you're only doing it because you know it is mubah, and you, that if you, if, that if, if it were not mubah, if it were not permissible, if it were haram, you would not have done. So even this kind of uh, attitude, this kind of attitude can make any kind of act something which is a kind of ibadah or something which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now someone may not uh, be conscious of that kind of act, or he may not have that kind of niyyah, intention behind it, as some of the early scholars, they used to talk about sleeping, their intention behind it was to get energy, so that they can continue to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and strive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people just sleep because they're tired. <laughs> so, and the, the niya behind it and the, the conscious, consciousness behind it can convert an act which is basically neutral to an act which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, you may do something which is permissible, but your intention behind it uh, may be something harmful. In other words, the act may outwardly look permissible, but maybe you have some evil intention behind it to harm someone or something, and so therefore you could take that permissible act and actually make it a, an act which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. 
this question says, if someone is going through an affliction, how does he know whether this is a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him? I've heard that the closer you, you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the harder the, the test which you go through. Please comment. Now, <clears throat> one of the, the points that I didn't get to in the lecture, some of the signs that you are, inshallah, pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And basically, uh, to get of this dunya or to be, you know, getting the, the goods and the bounties or the wealth of this dunya, this is not necessarily a sign that, is, that you are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, if you are continually disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sinning, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to give you in this dunya, then the Prophet has called this uh, istidraj, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking you step by step to your own punishment uh, in the hereafter. And at the same time, as the, the questioner mentioned, one of the aspects when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests them, puts put them through trial. And if the person is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will face that trial in the proper way. And he will realize this uh, trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will accept it, he will be pleased with it in the sense that he will accept it and he will respond in the proper way. And that is one of the signs that this is a trial coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, uh, for the person who is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when the trial comes to him, he accepts it and he uh, and he uh, responds to it uh, in the proper way. But otherwise, in general, it is the uh, and for a human being, it is not really possible necessarily to always to to tell whether or not this is a kind of punishment in this dunya or it is simply a trial that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is giving to the believers. However, the important thing is to realize how to respond to it. And it, to realize, for example, if you are afflicted with something, you must respond with patience, you must stay within the limits of the Sharia and responding to it and so forth. This is the most important aspect. And in either case, whether it was a kind of punishment or whether it was a trial for those whom Allah loves, and in either case, if you respond properly, inshallah, it will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, there was a, a number of questions about what are some of the, the steps that we can take uh, to bring ourselves closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And actually, that's going to be discussed in the, uh, <coughs> in the seminar. In the, uh, that's going to be discussed sometime. So. so I didn't cover it, and I'm not going to uh, discuss it here because, inshallah, it will be discussed uh, during the next uh, two days, inshallah. <clears throat> this question here says, I feel like a hypocrite when talking to people about Islam, as I know that even some of the things I say, I am not fully implementing. Should I continue to speak, or should I keep quiet? Well, the problem uh, is that if, the, if, if, if you were to keep quiet, and everyone were to keep quiet based on that fact, then I'm sure that everyone would have to <laughs> keep quiet. Because everyone has some shortcomings, everybody has some some mistakes. And just because you are committing some mistakes, this doesn't mean that you then do not make da'wah and do not do uh, calling people to Islam or ordering good and, and eradicating evil. <coughs> and in fact, just with respect to ordering good and eradicating evil, 
you have four obligations, uh, or you can break it into two. You have the obligation to order other people to do what is right, and you have the obligation to keep them from doing what is evil. And you also have the obligation to order yourself to do what is right. And you have the obligation to keep yourself from doing what is evil. And these are, in some sense, kind of mutually independent in the sense that if you are committing a sin, you should not compound your sin by also then failing to correct other and correct others and advise others. And this will actually just be compounding your sin. So even if you are committing a sin, you should uh, still continue to advise others to stay away from that sin. And you should also, obviously, you should also advise yourself. Because what happens is that when you advise others about a sin that you yourself are committing, the actual act of advising, you're not committing a sin in the act of advising, but what the problem is you are uh, lessening your influence by the fact that you're also committing this sin. So you are not maybe bringing about some good because of the example that you have set. But the actual advising and telling people to do what is right, even when you're not doing yourself, according to the strongest opinion of the Raman, as I said, obviously, if this were not the case, then nobody would be ordering good to eradicate evil. You still have the obligation to order good and eradicate evil, even if you yourself are doing some mistakes even if you yourself are committing the same sin that you are uh, trying to stop. Okay, again, this is uh, what are some of the means of reading. Uh, this question here says, uh, what do you do when you have committed sins and they haunt you? And in other words, you, con you continue to uh, feel bothered by, by the sin. <clears throat> this is uh, this is one of the uh, one of the plots or one of the ways of shaitan or one of the what's you could say from uh, from the shaitan because the believers should never feel that they are not going to get the mercy or the, of Allah subhanahu wa taala. La min rahmatillah. And when you when you repent and do your best to repent then you should have confidence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will accept your repentance as He has promised. So therefore, if you have done, you know, if you've committed a sin and you have sincerely repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should not allow that sin to continue to work on your mind and to bother you. You know, you may continue to do good deeds that, that you are hoping will continue to wipe away that sin or increase your good deeds, but you should not allow that sin that you've done and repented from, should not allow it to, as the question says, kind of haunt you from continuing to bring yourself closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to put yourself in a situation where you feel you'll never get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of that one sin you committed and so forth. And if this is from a shaitan, this is the kind of whisperings that come from a shaitan that go against the clear evidences from the Quran and Sunnah. If you have repented and sincerely repented, you can continue to do good deeds to hope that it continues to wipe away that deed that you perform, but you should never and allow yourself to get into a situation where uh, and you feel that you cannot come closer 
You cannot come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of a sin that you've committed. Even shirk and kufr, if you committed those things in the past and you repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the repentance and he accepts people embracing Islam, coming to Islam after years of shirk and kufr. Inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept your repentance and so therefore there's no reason for you to allow the sin to haunt you as the question <coughs> Here the, the questioner actually is making a point uh, about how to obtain Allah's pleasure and he says you have to refer to it to the authentic sunnah of the Prophet uh, We must please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by sending the, by following the example of the Prophet Muhammad uh, In fact Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says in the Quran, and it's one of the points I didn't get to in the, in the lecture. <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet to tell the people if you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then follow me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you in return and forgive your, your sins. And it should be the case that if someone really claims to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he should desire also in return the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The question here is kind of a three-part question. How many times can one repent? How does one keep from repeating these sins? And how exactly does the action of repenting work? Basically, and when you when you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not necessarily imply that you're never going to do that sin again. Obviously, that's going to be your intention, but it doesn't mean that you're never going to do that sin again. And if you do do that sin, that, that wipes away your repentance. And if you, when you repent, and one of the conditions, for example, of uh, repenting is that you have the intention. In other words, you have, the, you, have, you have decided that you are not going to do that sin again. You, have, you feel remorse. You feel that the, the sin is wrong. You feel remorse for the action that you've committed. And you have the intention not to do that sin again. <clears throat> and these are some of the, some of the conditions of, of repentance. And if you fulfill those conditions, that means you have repented from that sin. If those, if those feelings are really true in your heart. Now, you may, it may occur, it may happen that you, sometime in the future, you do that sin again. If you do that sin again, that doesn't mean that you wiped away the repentance of the sin, of the, of the repentance that you committed, I mean, the, of, that you performed earlier. Because, as I said, the, the, the conditions that you met, they were truly in your heart, they were what you meant, so therefore you really repented from that act. Now, if you do the if you do the sin again in the future, then you have to repent again from that sin. And inshallah, if you repent properly and sincerely, inshallah, you you've got wiped away the sin. And every time you commit that sin, you have to again repent again and again. Inshallah, if you if you follow that process, if you follow that process, inshallah, over time you will uh, remove that sin from your life. But if you don't, then you just have to continually. Try to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
from the sin that you have committed. Again, there was, what are the means? Same question. <clears throat> the question here is, can you give some advice uh, to someone who is confused with the different opinion? Uh, by the way, do you all agree with me that uh, Iska should give you more line between the spaces to write your question? <laughs> Yeah. I'm just left before I could finish that uh, comment. Uh, can you give us? Actually, what I do is maybe I'll, I'll uh, charge Iska from my bifocals when I get back to uh, after. Yes, I'm just now. Yep. <laughs> You're coming to respond to my comment. I've been told to come. You've been told to come. <laughs> I'm just telling him that you should make the spaces uh, bigger. Uh, I'm holding it there personally. So. Okay, you may go now. Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget to come out at that appropriate time that we agreed upon, though. Uh, please, uh, can you give some advice to someone who is confused with the different opinions of Muslims about attaining the pleasure of Allah? Every group <coughs> seems to have... <coughs> Their own way to attain the pleasure of Allah. What is the correct methodology to gain the pleasure of Allah? So this is slightly different than the, uh, the means I'll talk about it from a more general perspective. <coughs> the, most, the most important thing with respect to the, the, the individual Muslim is his intention to please Allah his intention to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to obey the, the Prophet and to follow the Quran and the Sunnah. This is the most important thing that will be in the heart of the Muslim. And of course the driving force behind that will be the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if, if the person has those things in his heart, he may not have the level of knowledge to be able to identify what is the correct position, what is the correct approach, what is the correct way, for example, on, let's say, how to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, inshallah, if he has those things in, in his heart, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive him or overlook the mistakes that he might make in following the path because of, of what he has in his heart. And, of course, the classic example that Ibn Taymiyyah always mentioned uh, is the is the case of the person who told his his son and uh, out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to the sins that he committed when he told his son that after his his dead to uh, to burn his body and scatter his ashes all over the ocean and believing that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then would not be able to punish him and so forth and this belief that he had of course was incorrect and even in the scope to believe something of that of, of that nature, but his and his uh, his intention and his fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was correct and sound. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgave him. <coughs> so the the only way to identify what is the correct way and what are some of the wrong paths is to have knowledge of the Quran Sunnah. That is the only way, and to constantly go back to the Quran, constantly go back to the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad the way of the Sahaba. 
the, <coughs> the deriving of the of the teachings from the Quran Sunnah. But as I said, that's something where everybody is at a different level. And the students and even the scholars, they are at very different levels. So it is possible for someone who has the right intention to be doing acts which are incorrect. But as I said, as long as those things are in his heart, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will overlook those mistakes. So the key is to try to find what is correct according to the Quran and Sunnah. Always take everything that you're presented with and judge it according to the Quran and Sunnah. And then do your best to follow that way which seems to be consistent with the Quran and Sunnah. That is the approach that every Muslim should take. As he increases his knowledge and his understanding of Islam, he'll be able to identify better and better what is correct and what isn't correct. But that should not keep him from always having that approach in his heart. That anything <coughs> that seems to him to be contradicting the Quran and Sunnah, he will reject that, he will not follow that, and anything that, that uh, he's, he's taught or shown that seems to be correct according to the Quran and Sunnah, he will follow that with the intention of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with him in return. <coughs> okay, uh, this is this uh, <coughs> I can only read about half of the words of that question, so I'm going to Okay, here, here's a kind of an interesting question. Of course, I shouldn't say that because that makes it sound like none of the other questions were interesting, but <clears throat> it's not what I meant. Is it sinful to pray because you are told to pray rather than because you want to pray? <laughs> Basically, uh, as, as, I, as I mentioned before, you know, Iman is at many, many different levels. When a person first becomes Muslim, for example, you don't expect that his level of Iman and his understanding of his relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be the same as someone who's been Muslim a long time or someone who's a scholar and so forth. So, basically as one increases in his, in his iman and understands uh, and his relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala better, any command that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is accepted, as I said, and it was, as we say after the, as we say after the adhan, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبَّنْ The more one understands Islam, the more he is pleased with Allah as his Lord, with this deen as a religion, and, and with the Prophet Muhammad as, as the messenger. So when any command comes from him, it's not just a matter of command, but it is a matter of him knowing that this is what Allah wants, and he wants to do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from him. And this feeling of love and desire to do whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands grows as he grows in his, in his faith. But it is also part of Iman that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands something, then 
and an earlier part of Iman, the person just sees this as a command coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he does it simply out of the fact that it is a command coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is also part of, he's still fulfilling some of the obligations of Iman, and he still does that. So, with respect to the aspect of uh, seeing it as a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you still have to do it even if you're just seeing it as a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because you recognize the fact that you have to submit to the command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as you grow on your iman, your attitude towards that will change, because what does it mean that this is a command coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In your heart, nothing will be more important to you than fulfilling whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked of you to, to fulfill. Actually, there was a number of questions about the uh, interest. I guess I didn't make the mistake of actually mentioning it in the lecture, so I don't know if that's enough for it to qualify as uh, related to the topic. I'll see if I get to... Here, the, the, the questioner is basically asking about the... It says that you mentioned having sincerity during during the prayer. I often see brothers completing their two rakat sunnah prayers in under two minutes. This is true even for the non-fajr sunnah prayers. I like how it continues. What is your opinion of such a prayer? What about 50 seconds? <laughs> what would you recommend for such a prayer that would achieve uh, Allah's pleasure? Uh, I think obviously... I think the answer to, to such a question of that nature is pretty obvious. That I mean, the salat, uh, the more the person understands what is the salat, what is he doing in the salat, and how much uh, how he can attain the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in that salat through the various various ways. You know how intense his heart is on the salat, and if he if he prays, for example, in, in two minutes the Salat of Sunnah prayer, let's say. And he is at a point where he realizes it's a good thing and he should do it. So he does it, but he doesn't put much effort into it. But at least he knows it's a good thing and he's doing it because he knows it's a good thing. And inshallah, and Allah's pleasure with that person will be according to the level of his intention and, and what he put into that Salat. Obviously that person cannot compare to the one who is really taking the salat seriously. Especially the, like the sunnah prayers, we, we see the example of the Prophet ﷺ is, is the opposite of what we're doing nowadays. The sunnah prayers, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, has shown us that this is actually the prayer where you can lengthen it as long as you want. The congregational prayer, the imam has to be conscious of everybody in the congregation so he cannot make the congregational prayer that long. Because he has to be conscious of the people behind him, right? The Prophet has advised the Imams to be in mean, light and take into consideration. So the Sunan prayer should be longer than the congregational prayer. Is that what we see among us? Let's be honest. <laughs> and usually that's not the case, right? The Sunan, the, the obligatory prayers, the, the, the Imam might read something as long as Buha, you know, mashallah. <laughs> While in the Sunnah prayers, people usually read like you know, "Qul Allahu Ahad" and something of that, uh, something of that nature. And this is a, this is really a reflection of how much we're really putting into pleasing Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And it is something that we should we should think about because it is a clear sign in front of us that we see uh, on a daily basis. 
Okay. It's an interesting, completely irrelevant question. I'm not sure how we get into this uh, to this file. Okay, now this one begins by saying it's not relevant. And that's why I was willing to take this question. <laughs> I like honesty and frankness. This may be a question which is not relevant to the topic, but I would appreciate an answer. Flattery will get you anywhere. <clears throat> Brothers who I dearly love for the sake of Allah have divided and hearts are hardening over the issue over some, anyway, mentioned some issues and, and says, can you discuss the principle? I'm not going to discuss that principle because that's too far off the topic. But I just want to discuss the question of, of the hearts being divided among sincere brothers. And this is a situation where, you know, if you visit many cities in the Muslim world, you'll find a situation where, uh, where the Muslim hearts are clearly divided. And one of one of the uh, basically, if people take the approach, and if Muslims take the approach that I am working for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and to earn the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and that is my ultimate goal, I am not working for the sake of a particular group, whether it be Iska or any other group. I am not working for the sake of a particular sheikh and to defend him against anyone else and to make him the biggest sheikh. I am working simply for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when I find other people working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if I might disagree with them in some ishtihad, I have to realize that if they are showing me outwardly that they are working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if I might disagree with them on some ishtihad, if from their outward actions it seems to me that they're working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it is my obligation to love them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you're going to love them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's going to be very difficult for your hearts to be divided in the way that they are divided in so many places. But if you don't accept that fact, or if you refuse to, to allow the possibility that someone might be doing something differently and also working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or if you put your group or your sheikh or whatever first, then you should realize that you are not following a path that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this division that you are causing may take you further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regardless of how many outward deeds that you may do that may seem to be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where's Amjid now? Oh, how you doing? <laughs> now he's now he's afraid to come out. You may you may you may come out now as, as we agreed upon. <laughs> Can someone please push this brother out here? <laughs> brother Amjid and I came to agreement that nine thirty would be the end of this uh, session. Right, so. I will turn the floor back over to it. By the way, um, Sheikh himself did all the screening for the questions, so if you've got any complaints, go to him, inshallah. Please, um, as you know, uh, we need as much help as we can get um, 
to continue um, conferences like this, inshallah. So please uh, give as much as you can, not only of your wealth, but your time and your effort, and by spreading the word around to you know other brothers and sisters, so inshallah it can be a success. And may Allah accept it from us and from from you and may Allah forgive us all. And inshallah we'll see you tomorrow. We'll start again at 9:30, inshallah, and uh, we'll take it from there.